Some of the thoughts I had today that I believe the Holy Spirit gave me uh, was the Lord's Super Bowl is, is Christ returning for his people. Uh, the Holy Spirit was given to empower the believer for this great harvest. Uh, there will be a large harvest of souls, outpourings before Christ returns. And, and I had this in there, but I wasn't really highlighting it. But I felt the Lord told me to add this. But Satan will try to stop us, stop you. And as Teresa was saying, keep your head up and your eyes on Jesus. And then Christ will return. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't know how far we're going to get into all this today. But uh, as I watched the Super Bowl last week, it was kind of a, a different thing. And um, normally when we have a Super Bowl party or we're watching the Super Bowl, there's games going on. People are playing games and, and people are really interacting and, and just a lot of stuff going on that way. And a lot of years, I don't even watch the Super Bowl because we're playing and having so much fun. And, and I think until the last of the, uh, of the game it was probably the first time somebody started playing a board game together. And I'm not knocking any of that, but we saw that people were so entrapped because the Chiefs were there and that was their team and we wanted to be focused in on them and we wanted to see them win. The great state of Missouri, you know. And and you could see that. You could see it through Facebook all week. You could see it through, you know, just the way people talked about stuff. They were focused in on the Super Bowl. And the Lord hit me this week that his Super Bowl is the harvest of souls. And, and his Super Bowl is coming back to get that harvest and to celebrate together in all eternity. And, and again, I'm, I'm getting, not making or getting after anybody, but, but that's how excited we should be about Christ's return. Jesus talked about it in John 14, 3, when he was telling the disciples, and we read this at the funeral so many times, but I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And we use that, the, you know, hey, when we pass that Jesus is going to be there waiting for us, he's going to come and get us. I've used that scripture. But Jesus also, and I think his main emphasis there was that he's going to come after the believer. He's going to come get the believer. And we should hold our heads up high and live every day like it was a Super Bowl for Jesus. Because he cares about us. And he wants all of our, our, us to be involved with him. And the scripture I had from 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How many of you have shared that word this week? Jesus is coming back for the believer. Jesus is coming soon. Have you chose him as your Lord and Savior today? Are you ready for this great banquet, this great party that, that he's going to be putting on for us? Are we spreading that message of the Super Bowl? 
that time of Christ when he comes back for us. You know, we've been talking about the callings and different things that, that God has put on the, the body of Christ at Oakton this next year in 2020 or 2020. But, but it seems like we're all focused on paying off the building. And that's the third one. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we're all fired up about that. But I want us to get fired up about the first one, that we're going to win as many souls to the kingdom of God as possible. That should be our heart's cry. That should be why we take every breath that we take is that we're here for the Lord to be with him and here not only on this earth, but later on with him. We're here to tell others about Christ. I got a little reverb going on, I think, and it may just be me. But, but anyway, I read an article the other night before I went to bed. I believe it was Monday night from Brother Swaggart, and he's got a magazine called The Evangelist. And he was writing about the harvest, the rapture, and the tribulation. And I, I read this before I went to bed, but, but it really impacted me. He, you know, he compared the, the Pharaoh's dream of the seven good years and Pharaoh's dream, you know, about the interpretation of the seven bad years that we read about in Genesis 43. And again, he compared that to the harvest, that, that God's going to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit before he comes. And that should be a sign to us that, that not only the wars and rumors of wars and all the things that Christ talked about would be going on in the last days that we all talk about, but there'll be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and then Christ will come. And he began to just share this vision the Lord gave him. And the reason I share it with you is that because it got me so excited I could hardly sleep. It got me so excited to the point where I thought to myself, should I have stayed at Bible college? Because I could have went on staff there. Should I have stayed there? Because his heart's my heart. I want to win every person possible to the kingdom of God. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, I want to be a part of that. He excited me. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit in him that was doing it. But he said these words, Egypt saw a great harvest of grain, but I believe a move of God is coming that will bring in the greatest harvest of souls such as the world has never seen before, such as a church has never seen before, where hundreds of thousands, if not millions, are going to be swept into the kingdom of God. And like the famine that followed Egypt's bounty, immediately following this harvest of soul will be a great tribulation period as represented in Pharaoh's dream by seven lean cattle and seven empty ears of grain, again in Genesis 43. Jesus said this great tribulation would be worse than anything that had ever taken place on this planet and never will be again. That's how bad it will be when it comes. But I'm thinking about all these things, the harvest, and then Christ is going to come, and then the great tribulation Man, these things are going to happen. And again, I was so pumped out of, of about thinking about these. Then I thought about the Chiefs fans, how they were so pumped up when they saw the Chiefs were, you know, hey, may, they, they maybe are going to get this done. Hey, hey, they're maybe going to get there. Hey, this is real. And man, on that day of the Super Bowl, nobody could wave them. They were focused. But then I thought about the farmer 
I see you farmers do this all the time. But when the harvest is about there, man, you're fortunate to be a bit. When you see that wheat, the corn, the beans, you see that harvest there, you don't sit at home and go, well, I hope somebody else gets my crop in. We don't sit at home and say, you know, I hope my good neighbor gets this done. Hey, guess what? Maybe the pastor will harvest my crop. No, we're fortunate at the bit. Man, and we're wanting to go. I can remember the, the harvest of the one of the last ones dad had before we sold the farm. I was 15 and the wheat prices had jumped to four and a quarter. And I'll never forget that. Dad had me hauling feed trucks to Manivals that year because that harvest was plentiful and he wanted to get it out as quick as he could to get that price. That he had a 15-year-old son driving this big grain truck to Manivals. That's how aggressive we are for our things, for our wants and our needs. But I pray today that that's our wants and needs is the harvest of soul. I hope that we're that aggressive that that we want to lead people to Christ, that we see people out there that need him and that we're willing to give our lives to see (coughs) that they're saved. Are we excited about the harvest? Are we excited about this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And again, I went to bed thinking, God, do I need to join in with them? And it was so neat. About an hour later, he woke me up and he spoke this to me. He said, hey, Oakton will be a part of this harvest. Oakton will be a part of this harvest. Anybody that keeps their eyes on me will be part of this harvest. We need to realize that today and and keep it in perspective. Keep our lives in perspective about what we're here for and what we're about. The second point I wanted to share today is a lot of us think that, that we cannot do this. But the Holy Spirit was given to empower the believer for this great harvest. In Acts 2, 17 through 21, at the very first outpouring harvest of souls recorded in Acts, 3,000 were saved. And when the people were asking, you know, what is this great outpouring of spirit? What is this great move of God? What's going on here? And Peter started out by saying, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he was quoting Joel. He's saying, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and your daughters, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on the male servant and the female servant in those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So God's saying through Peter here and through this powerful move of the Holy Spirit that anybody can be saved. Everybody should be saved. It's for everybody and I will use everybody that chooses me to accomplish this. But the Holy Spirit led us in this harvest. He empowered Peter the believer and those that day to prophesy, to have visions, dreams, wonders, and signs. And he does the same for us today. I'll never forget this week that the Lord put something on my heart for you can just tell. 
when the Lord gives me a word for something and it'll just start churning in me and I'll start writing it down and, and, and it just like, that's, this isn't what he's wanting to say. And, and so I'll just keep writing and then it'll click. This is what he's wanting to say. And I did this this week with an individual and, and I sent him the text and, and I didn't hear nothing back for a long time. That old devil attacks you then. Oh, you didn't hear nothing. You just in the flesh. I don't know why you did that. You got out there. Well, this person texted me back that night and God had moved on them tremendously. And it wasn't because of me. The only thing I did was yield to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gave me the words and I was able to minister to somebody and bring life, the life of Jesus into their life. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's what Peter was talking about here. That's what the Bible is trying to tell us. The Holy Spirit will lead us. He will empower us. And things will come to pass. Peter goes on to say in Acts 2, 17 through 21, he was telling them that Christ then will come. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, uh, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. Then the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There will be a great outpouring a great harvest in the last days. And this should be going on. The harvest should be going on all the time. The harvest began the minute Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. But this harvest should just increase and get to be burning in us believers. It should be just oozing from us that we desire to save people's souls. Sometimes I think we get, you know, occupied or preoccupied with what's going on in, in this world. But Teresa, you sent an article out when I was writing this on your Facebook, and it said the Messiah must be coming. Israel has officially called the uh, uh, called the mosaic to mosaic mosaic to be destroyed and to build the third temple in Jerusalem. Did you guys ever know that that the third temple will be built in Jerusalem? That's been destroyed twice. And Israel's calling for that to happen. Now, again, it depends on what you believe, you know, when that'll happen. But what I'm trying to tell you, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus could come right now. Jesus is prepared and ready to come. Are we prepared and ready to come? Are we prepared to be a part of this large harvest of souls, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit before Christ re returns. You know, I get so sick and tired about hearing about church growth. Man, when I was at these meetings and I'd, I'd go to the Minister Alliance, I get tired of hearing all church growth. I hear 90% of it is church movement. Sick of it. Man, the, the, our church growth should become, be coming from people saved. People getting saved and coming to the Lord. That's how you grow a church. You go save somebody. That's how you build the kingdom of God. You go lead somebody to Christ. That's what we're to be doing. You know, how does God use you? I don't, I don't know. I understand he uses you by the Holy Spirit. But, but what other things does God, how does he use you? I get that question all the time. And the only thing I can do, I can only do with the Holy Spirit's guidance. 
But I get it all the time. Why is Oakton successful? And I say, because of the Holy Spirit. Well, besides that. There is no besides that. <laughs> there is no besides that. My head knowledge is nothing. When I went to Bible college, all I heard was what a lot of Bible scholars thought. Then the Holy Spirit began to teach me what he thought. Because many years, I just believed what I was taught. You teach me this, I'll believe that. You teach me that, I'll believe that. The Holy Spirit began to show me how he wanted it to be in my life and the way it should be. Got it this week. Pastor, how are you taking care of yourself? Your self-care because pastor's got the hardest job. How do you take care of yourself? Why are you so fat and out of shape? No, I didn't say that. But that's what they're talking about, self-care. And before you could say anything, the guy goes, you know, outside of praying, because we know that's what you're going to say. It's a given. And I said, what is there outside of praying and being led by the Holy Spirit? Come on, guys. This world has turned into thinking that we're doing everything. And that's why our churches are dying. That's why we can't lead anybody to the Lord because we think it's all us. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit in this great harvest. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. Matthew nine thirty six through 38. During this time, people are going to be harassed and helpless. They, they will need a savior. They will need a shepherd. And, and do we have that compassion today? Do we have a compassion for people? Because, guys, I've said it a lot of times, it's hard for me to have a compassion sometimes. When you see what I see a lot of times, it's hard to have compassion. And we can never let go of the compassion and love for people. Because we got to recognize they do what they do because they're harassed and helpless. Harassed means feeling or looking strained through having too many demands on one. Woo, does that not talk about today? That's what half of the people's problem is in this world today is they have too many demands on their lives and therefore they're harassed and helpless. Another way to look at harassed, they are stressed, strained, frayed, hurried from having too many demands on their lives. As a result, they are stressed out, worn out, hard-pressed. And then they're trying to do it without a shepherd. Sometimes we're trying to do it without a shepherd. If you're a believer today and you're stressed, strained, frayed, most likely you don't have your eyes on the shepherd because that's what he should be bringing us today. But it's our responsibility as a church to see when our brothers and sisters are harassed and helpless and, and, and come alongside them. It's our job as believers that when we see people that are unsaved, that are helpless and harassed, to save them, shepherd them, harvest their soul. Jesus had great compassion 
for the harassed and helpless people. He went to the cross because of that compassion. And the cross of Christ is God's only way, and we mean the only way for the sinner to be saved and for the saint to be sanctified. Do we have compassion on harassed and helpless people that are in our lives? He will use you, the church, to save and shepherd the harassed and helpless people that are around you. Jesus' own words that he said to his disciples, he said to you, his disciples, but the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to send them out. So we should be praying and asking God, how can we be a part of this harvest? But I add in, he said, earnestly praying to the Lord of the harvest that he sends you. You say, well, pastor, the word says, sends out workers. Well, disciples, you are the workers. Your earnest prayer should have be saying, Lord, have mercy on us. Save, our, save us, Lord. Use me, Lord. However you feel necessary. And then this one here I thought was really good, and I can see now why the Lord wanted me to put it in there. Laborers is a person doing unskilled manual work for wages, meaning you don't have to be skilled to bring somebody to Christ. I hear it all the time. Oh, I can't do it. A laborer is an unskilled manual, manual worker. Meaning you don't have to be skilled, but when you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're gifted, you're raised up, man, you're more than qualified. God has called Oakton to go save disciples and send the harassed and the helpless. That's why we must go north, south, east, and west. It's all about salvation, looking for the harassed, harassed and helpless and be prepared to lead them to Christ. That's what we should be about. We should be prepared to be involved in ministries that, that lead harassed and helpless people to Christ. The children's groups, the youth groups, the adult ministries, VBS, Wednesday nights. How can God help you? It may be a, another d- different way. It may be going to Kansas City VBS. It may be going to Liberia. By the way, Gary, when I was praying about this, the Lord said there's going to be a great move of the Holy Spirit in Liberia. Not that there wasn't before, but a big harvest. And, and the Lord really spoke that to me when I was praying about this. And he didn't leave Albania out, but it didn't. It just said, I just got Liberia. So anyway, but that doesn't mean it couldn't be both. Last week, when Taylor stood up here and, 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 and gave his testimony about one of the greatest things that ever happened to him in his life, when he was able to lead them five kids to the Lord. I've got to be careful of that myself. Because when I get to talking about leading Christ the Lord, my wife's like, oh, I'm not the most important thing that ever happened to you. Think about it. When I talk about Bible college, when, when I went down there and there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like uh, I've since experienced, I have some, and people getting saved right and left, I'll say it so many times, that was the greatest time of my life. My wife's like, hmm, I wasn't the greatest time of your life. What about your children? about your children, aren't they the greatest thing in your life? 
That's how powerful and how fulfilling it is to lead somebody to Christ and to do it on a continual basis. Oakton, we need to walk through the doors that God opens to us as individuals to lead people to Christ. We need to walk through the doors that God opens as a church to help those that are helpless and harassed. For example, Golden City, it's helpless and harassed. Golden City is a lot lot like a lot of small rural towns that are becoming infested in dangerous areas because of drugs and different things. Uh, I was told by a bus driver the other day that they run routes through Golden City now because they don't like their kids walking from their houses to the school. They're not sure it's safe. We had our meeting the other night, our first Bible study. And this lady came to the Bible study that was a visitor. And she heard about it. And God moved her and her husband, her own words, back to Golden City. And her words were that when she was praying that God said, this town is golden to me. This is a golden place to me. And she goes, I'm looking for a church that wants to bring Christ and the move of his Holy Spirit to a community. First person that attended the Bible study, that was out of their mouth. People want a harvest in their town. Carthage is harassed and helpless. They're worried about gangs. They're worried about things raising up there. As I was working on this, I was texted by a young man that, that was in and out of our youth group at Carthage that is a grown man now and in college. And he just says, I want to get out of here. I want to move to Texas. I just want to get out of here. I hate living here. It's memory lane everywhere and I feel it's just no good for me anymore. Helpless and harassed. And I, again, prayed about it. And the Holy Spirit said, buddy, you can run all you want. But you're going to be helpless and harassed until you give in to Jesus Christ. Until you completely give your life over to him, you're going to be helpless and harassed. And we need to be prayerful about them words because especially the way that was done then, you don't want to hurt anybody, but maybe sometimes you need to give them a little nudge because that's what people do. They run instead of giving their lives to Christ. And we need to let them realize there is a hope and that hope is Jesus Christ. You know, I'm hoping that all of you now are saying, well, what about us? What about Oakton? Same deal, guys. I hope that you're fired up and hope we're wanting to do things here in our community around here because people are helpless and harassed here the same way. And we've got a message of hope, and that's Jesus Christ. How is God using you? to help the harassed and helpless around you. God has been dealing with me about a lot of things, and, and, and I've already talked to Joe, so I didn't freak him out on this. 
because I'm in the praying stages here. But I believe the Lord told me to add three more services. Hmm. That's a load, guys. But I believe the Lord told me to do that. It's going to take some work and, and working and shifting things. But I believe the Lord's even taken it further than that. I believe that the Lord wants us to even take services into prairie plains. That the Lord wants us to take services into country acres. To the point where I've already talked to Connie Meister a little bit about it. I'm praying about these things. And that's in addition to the three services. Because people are helpless and harassed. And most people, they'll tell you Sundays is their only free day. And us church, we like to buckle down and say, well then by George, you just don't go to church. I remember when I went after this, the, the, when the church was talking about the eight o'clock service. You know what I was pushing? A Monday night service. I'd been to the area factories and that was the best night. They all worked all week, but that was the best night to have a service that would help our community. And we voted to do the eight o'clock service, not saying it was wrong. But I think we got to make opportunities for people to get in these doors. And yeah, they may not be the point where they think Sundays are important. So we need to give them other nights to get them in the door, to hear the word, to worship, and to do all that. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to give up more so that people can hear about our Jesus? Everybody keeps asking me how to do this, and the Lord gives me a little bit of the time. And a lot of times it comes through you guys because you pray and think about it and talk to me. And I think, well, that's a good idea. But when I asked the Lord how to do this, this is what he told me. This is the word of the Lord to Oakton. Not by might, not by power, but my by spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6. See, it's by that Holy Spirit again. The Holy Spirit is the key. And the scripture I hammer all the time that Jesus gave the same to us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Oakton because he has anointed us to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has anointed us to set and proclaim liberty to the captives and recover his sight to the blind. To set that liberty, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And again, I'm not lifting me or us up. That's what Christ told the disciples to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon the believer to do these things. And as I started out here, the Lord said, Oakton will be a part of that. But any church will be a part of the harvest if... They are not so sick with compromise if they're not making excuses 
if they're focused on God's Super Bowl and not worldly Super Bowls, if they will give all of their time, their tithe, and their talent to be a part of this great harvest. Anybody can be involved that's a believer if they choose. Satan has tried to stop us, but he didn't get it done. Nor will he ever get it done. I guarantee you when you step out in your faith, Satan will attack your marriages, your family, anything he can to keep you from bringing in the harvest. But as Teresa said, get your head up, keep your head up, and press forward. Jesus' own words, it wasn't a surprise. We read so many times the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said that will happen. But he goes, I came that you will have life and have it more abundantly. Life, an abundant life, is living for Jesus and moving out for Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 11, Jesus is with us. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. If we know Jesus and he knows us, we're going to be okay. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus has laid down his life for you and is with you every step of the way. But then he says, and I have other sheep that are not, in the, not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And that's where Jesus, again, I believe, and he's saying, guys, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you every step of the way. But there's other sheep that need to be brought in the fold. And we must bring them in. They will listen. The Israelites were on their way to the promised land. But bodies were left all through the wilderness. And none of the original but two went into the promised land because Satan distracted them so much. We read about the blind man in Mark 8, 23 through 26. And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought him to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit in his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly and he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And, and, the, and I've heard this preached several times this week, but where the Lord is really hitting me with this is we're begging for God to move in our life. We're begging for God to heal our life. And so what Jesus does to accomplish this, he's got to take us away from our surroundings. He had to take the guy out of the village 
Now, one author said that Jesus took him out of the village so that he would see what God was doing and not what man was doing. That was one guy's idea, and I think that's good because he was trying to get the man focused in that his first sight was what God was doing and not what this world was doing. But he had to get him away from his surroundings. And I believe it was because of unbelief that maybe had been in the village or unbelief that was there. But Jesus laid his hands on him and, and he could see a little bit better. The only time that was recorded that Jesus had to lay his hand on somebody twice. Usually he got it done the first time. But he laid it on there and he said it's a little better but they're big and blurry. So Jesus had to lay his hands on again. And I believe he was fighting this unbelief in the, in the surroundings that were around this guy. And then he was healed. And then Jesus spoke to him. He said, and don't even enter that village. And I need to study that a little bit more. But he took him out around his surroundings, the things that preventing him from being what God has called him to be, healed him, and then said, don't go back to that. We need to get our eyes focused on Jesus and not this world. We need to get alone with Jesus and allow him to move upon our life. See what he wants us to do and not what everybody else wants us to do. Another scripture is Mark 6, 45 and 48 that I've heard preached this week. And I'm going to put my thoughts to it, but... but But when headway is painful and the wind is against us, do we keep our eyes on Jesus? And Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And And when evening came, the boat was out at sea. And he was all... Uh, he was alone on land and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And he was talking about the disciples. And about the fourth watch of night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. Get that. I didn't know what the Lord was trying to say until this morning on that part is bugging me all week. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see the same thing there, this unbelief, if you will. They'd just seen the 5,000 fed, all these great miracles of God, but they began to get their eyes focused on the situation that was on around them. You know, Jesus gives us a word a lot of times, tells me things to do, and when I follow him, man, it's a, the headway can seem very painful, very hard. It can seem like everything is against us, and we're rowing, and we're trying to, to, to stay in there. Well, guys, I'll tell you one thing. When, when we're following Jesus, we're going to be going against the world. You get that? When we're following Jesus, the world's not going to probably like what we're doing. 
When we're standing up for the, uh, for the things of God and protecting life, the world's not going to probably stand with us. You know where I'm heading here. So when we're standing for the things of God, the headway can seem painful. It can be tough at times and everybody's against us. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Man, I'm doing my best to serve God and I'm all alone. Does that sound like Elijah? I guarantee you when you move out in the things of God, Satan's going to make your headway as painful as possible, and he's going to make you feel like everybody's against you. Your family's going to attack you. Your work's going to attack you. Your marriage is going to hit you. Distractions are going to come against you. All these things are going to happen, and we can lose focus on what God's called us to do. We can get caught up in the problem and stop recognizing Jesus as the one that sent us. And he was about to pass him by. So many times Jesus is right there wanting to move in our situation, but he's about to pass us by because we're not paying a lick of attention to him. But I'm doing God's will. He told me to do this. I'm rowing against this. It's hard. It's painful. And I'm doing what he's called me to do. But we get so caught up in all the things around us that he's walking by us and we can't even see him. And you notice that Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm over here. The disciples recognized, or the disciples saw him, thought he was a ghost. Didn't even recognize him as Jesus because they got so caught up in their problems, so caught up in what was going on around them. Jesus had to reveal himself then. Then he got in the boat and peace came upon their situation. When God called us and we were saved, we started living for him. Headway can seem painful at times. The world can seem against us. But we must never lose sight of Jesus. That's the altar call today. We know what we're supposed to be doing as believers. I've reiterated it to us today. That we're here for the harvest, that Christ is going to come back, and then things are going to be really tough because he's separating the sheep and the goats where we're going to spend eternity. But we need to make sure that our eyes are on Jesus. And what was bugging me about this Jesus meant to pass him by was The Holy Spirit hit me this morning. If the disciples wouldn't have called out to Jesus, he would have passed them by. Are we calling out to Jesus today? A lot of times we don't pray. We just sit on our hands and expect Jesus to move. Do you pray over situations in your life? If our eyes aren't on Jesus and we're not calling out to him, he could pass us by. When we don't cry out to Christ and use him in the harvest and want to be a part of the harvest, he's not going to beg us to be part of the harvest. 
Jesus wooed me to salvation, but I had to choose him. Jesus wooed me to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I had to choose him. Jesus wooed me to a healing, but I had to choose him. I had to ask because he's a gentleman and he won't force himself on us. Even for this message today, I had to ask and say, Jesus, what do you have for Oakton today? What do you want to speak to your people today? Guys, when I learned that prayer, preaching got easy. I can remember in the old church that one of the first times I preached here in the old pulpit, I was standing up there and and I had prepared a 15-page sermon. It was good. And anyway, I prepared it in my granny's house, fresh out of Bible college. I knew it all and didn't think anybody knew anything. Pastors here were dumb. They were uneducated idiots. I knew it all. Man, I had it all laid out. But I never once asked God what he wanted to say. And I remember getting in that pulpit and I went totally blank. I froze. And I didn't know what to do. And I'm sitting there, oh gosh, what do I do? And I'm trying to read notes, nothing's flowing, everything's flowing, I get antsy, and I stop, and I go, Helen Diggs, will you pray for me? And Helen Diggs prayed for me. But nothing happened in that service until I said, Lord, what do you want me to say? Nothing broke, and finally I said to myself, Lord, I don't know why you got me up here, but Lord, but what do you want to speak through me? And the minute I said that, Things come to my mind and I began to preach. He will walk by when you think you're all that. When you think you got it going on and you don't need him, he's there all the time, guys. Do you recognize him? That may seem pretty harsh today because Jesus loves us, but I think we miss out a lot because we ask not. You have not because you ask not. Jesus shouldn't have to beg us to serve him. We should be looking for him. When them times are hard that, yeah, guys, we could be living, doing everything right. And that rowing's going to be tough. And times are going to be hard. And everybody's going to seem against us. But you know what? We don't care. We don't care. Because Jesus is with us. Amen? So we'll stand to our feet today. Come, praise team.